We're going to be looking in the book of Mark. It's actually Mark chapter 5, verse 21 is where we'll start. If you would like to read along, that's great. There are Bibles in the pew racks here at Souderton, Quakertown. They've got them in the back. Just raise your hand and Usher will help you out. Also, it's 2019, so feel free to read on your phone. There's no shame for having your phone out. But actually, I'm going to be reading a story. And if you just want to listen, that's okay too. Maybe close your eyes and imagine this as best you can. But uh, whatever your preference, let's take a look at a couple stories that will sandwich together here. So. This is in Mark chapter 5. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, that's not the end of the story, but I feel like we need to pause for a second, and uh, I, there's some things that need to be pointed out so we can understand really what's happening here. I think the first thing that we need to take a look at is the idea that Jairus is a synagogue leader. And just so you know, the synagogue at that time is most likely not very happy with what Jesus is doing and saying. Dare I say, eh, maybe becoming his enemy if not already. So we've got the leader of the enemy coming to Jesus. And he's not just coming to him like kind of secretively in the midst of a crowd, just, you know, just kind of trying to be under the radar. He is falling at the feet of Jesus. Needless to say, this is a, this is a social risk for Jairus. This is his livelihood that he's risking by, by going to Jesus in this way. Now, a couple things that are worth noting. Jesus goes with him. So Jesus goes with somebody who's coming from a place of people who probably are his enemy to help that person. He's helping his enemies. Well, that's one. And two, Jairus is a synagogue leader. Now, maybe it's a stretch, but I don't think it is that much. He's a church leader, and he didn't go to the church. At least if he has... He's not right now. He's going to Jesus. Just worth bringing up and noting. But on the way, uh, we meet someone else. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So 
a character enters the story. But I want us to maybe try and think a little bit about what could have been happening with everyone in the story. Remember, Jairus had just risked his social life to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, can you come and help my dying daughter? I'm a dad. If Jesus had stopped to see who touched him, I don't know what Jairus was feeling. We don't see that, but I'll tell you what I'm feeling. Uh, Seriously, bro, I got a dying daughter and you're wondering who touched you. Can we please? I'm risking everything to be here. (laughs) But maybe, I'm sure Jairus is a better man than I, right? We don't know what he thought, but it makes me wonder. And then the disciples say, probably what everyone's thinking, you serious, Clark? Christmas vacation, anyone? It's, 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 it's okay, it's okay, not a great impression, it's okay. Um, but basically they're like, you have probably touched literally every person in this area and you're going to pause and see who it was? <laughs> We've got, someone is dying, we need to go. I was um, recently in Istanbul, in Turkey, in Greece. We were, I was on a trip to just kind of see where the New Testament took place and was written anyway. We're there, um, and a couple evenings, we would walk down kind of the main street in Istanbul. And I mean, I'm not, I don't really love touching. It's like, I'm good, I don't. I couldn't avoid bumping into people. Like, I was like, like, you know, like, I'm like really making an effort. I could not avoid bumping into people. It, it, just, it just didn't work. I feel like I kind of understand where the disciples are coming from. Like, seriously? What are, you, what are you talking about? But Jesus insists on finding the person that touched him. And as I read kind of over and over in this passage, I really couldn't get this out of my head. Um, the story in Genesis where God is looking for Adam and Eve after they've eaten the fruit that they shouldn't have. I couldn't get it out of my head that he's looking for them and they're hiding in fear and in shame because they've done something that they know they shouldn't have. And this woman is hiding in fear and in shame because she's done something, at least in that society, that she knows she shouldn't have. But Jesus is determined to find out who it was. Now, this woman in this part of society, because of her bleeding that wouldn't go away, would have been unclean. And if she was married at this point, was probably divorced. She's a social outcast. No one's interested. You're not clean. You can't be clean. Get away. And so what seems to make a lot of sense is that this woman has pursued being healed. So she's gone to doctors with whatever assets she had, some, And those doctors have been not only unable to heal her, but she has gotten worse, and now she's bankrupt. This woman is risking her life just to touch Jesus, something that's not okay. She's been suffering for 12 years, though. I don't know about you. I get it. She's at the end of her rope. And Jesus does something crazy. Not only does he heal her physically, which would have only meant survival at that point, 
survival, still social, like still socially not okay, but at least you'll survive. Jesus does that for her. That's what she comes for. But by making the healing public, Jesus is affirming that this woman is better and is able to be clean. He is giving her the opportunity to be socially reinstated. What he's doing is he's giving this woman the opportunity not just to survive, but to live. Because see, when these people show up to Jesus, a lot of times they get more than what they expected. However, meanwhile, Jairus' daughter has taken a turn for the worse. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, that's Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up, began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So once again, Jairus, who has risked his life socially, had to stop because somebody touched Jesus. Then Jesus had to take some time to hear her whole story. And in that time, his daughter has died. And once again, we don't know what Jairus is thinking, but I tell you what I'm thinking. Bro, I risked everything to be here. And if you had not stopped, we would have maybe made it. Why did you need to stop? I mean, healers, sure, but we, we need to go. And Jesus, seemingly kind of knowing what's going on here, looks at the man, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. I, bro, my daughter's dead. So I don't know how Jairus did it, but it sounds like, and it seems like from what we can, say, what we can see, that he kept going. So if that wasn't crazy enough, Jesus was like, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus shows up to where people are mourning the death of a person and he looks at them and he says, cut it out. She's just asleep. <laughs> man, I, that laugh, I, I, we, we don't know, but man, I just wonder, is that laugh just mirthless and cutting and sarcastic? Just no humor in it. It's as if he's, you know, cursing without cursing at him. Like, you idiot. But Jesus walks in, takes her by the hand, and he says, get up. And she 
does. The hope that had been fading as this daughter's life is coming to an end, this daughter that they'd grown to love for 12 years, they invested so much time into this daughter who they love. He finally risks everything to get her healed. And then it's too late. But then Jesus comes in and wakes her up. Oh, man. Whew, I can't think too much about it because I'll start crying and y'all don't want to see that. But guys, I mean, like the joy that is spilling out from this and the knowledge that he would have, that Jesus would have to tell them to get her something to eat because see, in that time, what they could have thought is, oh, it's just a ghost. Oh, it's just some magic trick. No, no, no. By telling her to get something to eat or to give her something to eat, he's confirming, this is no ghost. I didn't just say some magic words. She's alive. And watch as she eats. We'll see Jesus do that later as he eats and really shows us, hey, he's alive. So, why these stories together? Because on the surface, especially in those times, what we're talking about is somebody who's in great religious standing. He's a leader in the synagogue, not just an attender, but a leader. And we have someone who's about as outcast as you can be with no hope of getting better because you're sick and you've just now bankrupted yourself and you're worse. So we've got these two kind of ends of the spectrum. Why together? I think it's because these two people are actually much more similar than we might think. We've got two people who are at the end of their rope and they need healing now. She has no money. She needs the healing now. His daughter's on his deathbed. They need the healing now. But what do we know about healing physically? Almost all, if not all, healing takes time. And they don't have time. What they need is someone for whom time doesn't matter. And who they found was Jesus. And more than just working the miracle of healing, Jesus gives them more than what they had ever expected. Jairus, and this is important for us to keep in mind, Jairus is risking his social life, basically saying, I care so little about my life at this point. I only want my daughter to get well. That is why I'm here. He's risking his social life. And Jesus does more than that. He brings her back from the dead. But Jairus shows up expecting that. And this woman who has no social life to sacrifice, so even if she could, she, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't matter, right? Even if she wanted to. She shows up and says, I am so at the end of my rope that I will risk my breathing life for the sake of my breathing life. And Jesus does her one better. He says, here's your breathing life. Now let me give you back the ability to really live and not just survive. 
but it bears noticing that these people showed up to Jesus not because of something that had already been done for them, but because of what they heard being done for others. They didn't need a miracle to walk up to him. It was enough to see the other things happening, to hear about the heart of Jesus. And I think it's because these two understood what Adam and Eve did not that being close to the heart of God is what God has wanted all along. See, Adam and Eve chose the one way that you wouldn't be. They exchanged the truth for a lie. But these people chose to lean into the discomfort that might come. They chose to sacrifice everything to be close to this person who seemed to understand the heart of God better than anyone they'd encountered even in their church synagogue setting. They chose to show up. Now, what does that mean for us? Maybe um, you're more like Jairus. So by all the, for all intents and purposes, you, you kind of like have the look, you, you come to church, you've been here for a while, you really do know all this stuff. And um, so you kind of have that appearance. But maybe some of you are in that appearance but really don't know where you go in a true crisis. Because maybe you've never really had one or um, maybe one is, is, is approaching and you just don't know where you go. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're a complete social outcast. And quite frankly, in a lot of these places, you might be someone who's not welcome, um, which is so sad. But maybe that's where you feel like you are. And you don't have any social life to risk. But you just have a breathing life and you, and you just can't get out of this hole that you find yourself in. And you're just seeking people to help you fill that hole. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. So, you know, it's not dualistic, right? Maybe you're somewhere in the middle here, somewhere on that spectrum. I think wherever you are, and I want to clarify I do think it's okay to be wherever you are because honesty is key here. But wherever you are, I think there's three things that we can do to find life and to be able to find love and love people well. I think the first thing we can do is to listen. We tend, when we see someone in need, to want to just kind of immediately help them out and just tell them what we think they need. Please don't be offended, but it might be better for us just to kind of shut up and listen to what they need. Just take a step back and and remember, they they might know a little bit better. I think we would do well. Notice I'm saying we, (laughs) because this is something I need to do too. We would do well to take a step back and listen. But, If listening is the only thing that we do, and my wife can attest to this, I don't think it's enough. Because how many times have we had the conversation about whether or not I was listening to her, and I say yes, and she's like, but you don't remember. How are you really listening if you don't remember? Fair enough. That's my bad, absolutely. 
And so I think the second thing we have to do if we're willing to listen is we have to learn. We have to commit to memory these things that are shared with us. Because without committing them to memory, I, you know, as a teacher, I would say it too, were you really listening? Did this really resonate with you and impact you? And I think when we do those two things, the third is a beautiful product and desire, and that is to love. We're in a culture right now that is so high on loving everyone, which I can appreciate and I love, I love that. But I think that we really can't love well unless we first listen and learn. So you might be like, all right, Jeremiah, sure, whatever. But like how? Like what do I need to do? Well, this is what I would tell you that love can look like. I think it can look like a conversation, one where you listen more than you talk. I think love can be creating a place for people to really share their troubles and struggles and remembering those troubles and struggles. I think it can be people showing up and being willing to share real answers to real questions if they want real help. That's a big commitment. And it takes knowing that they're being listened to and remembered. I think it could be just as simple as a meal. Once you listen and learn, maybe what they just need is somebody to make their food because they're too exhausted. Maybe what they need is babysitting because, you know, they love their kids. But right now, they don't really like their kids. <laughs> it's okay if you don't feel that way. I can totally take that one. But, but maybe, uh, maybe you're just like, no, I, I love y'all, but I need a break. I think it can look like that. And I think that when we do this, what we're really doing is we're doing what God did through Jesus. That is, the God of the universe knows our trials, knows our struggles, hears our cries for help. And he loves us not just because he would and did and does intercede from on high. He loves us because he comes down in the form of a person to look with physical eyes and to hear with physical ears about Jairus and his situation, to hear the entire story, the whole truth of what this woman has to say, to with his physical hand, take the hand of the daughter who died and tell her, wake up. And she does. To offer life when all we think is healing and to give us more than we expect because what he really wants is to be close to us. Calvary Church, if we're gonna be a place that continues what Jesus started, we can't just tell people we love him. We have to offer life, and we might have to give more than they expect, because what we really want is to be close to you and have you know the God of the universe who desires and longs to be close to you. That is how we will continue what Jesus started. I gotta say it because I couldn't get it out of my mind. All, all weeks I was thinking about this. You know, they laughed at him and they mocked him when he said she was just sleeping. But then he went in, took her hand, and he woke her up. Then they mocked him when he wouldn't take himself off the cross. But then three days after he'd been dead, he one-upped him, and he woke himself up. 
Makes me wonder, who's laughing now? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for every single person that you've brought here, whether in Southerton, Quakertown, or online. I pray that you have spoken through me in truth and the truths that these people have heard would engage them in a way that they would ask questions, that they would seek answers, that they would find people who listen, learn, and love well. Lord, I pray that we would do that moving forward in this week. I thank you for all that you are, for all that you will continue to do through this series. And uh, just thank you for the blessing it is to be together with everyone on Sunday. I praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.